Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul-searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, today's uh, episode uh, is a continuation of a series that we're doing, actually discussing uh, the book that we're putting out, Church and State, How the Left Used the Church to Conquer America. And uh, we're going to be diving in today with uh, Denise McAllister, who wrote one of the chapters of the book. Before we get started, just wanted to remind you guys as well, if you guys are interested in supporting what we're doing here uh, with the gatekeepers, uh, one way that you can do that is uh, by becoming a member of our plugged in membership program. Uh, uh, it, with that, you'll get access to our Destroy Social Justice Conference, the recording of that. Uh, you will get uh, 30% off of all resources in our bookstore, um, as well as our weekly devotional, a bunch of other really cool perks. Uh, I'm going to be adding a uh, podcast for members only as well. So a bunch of really cool content. If you guys would like to check that out, go to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. And then also, if you guys are interested in pre-ordering uh, the book Church and State, uh, you can go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state, and then actually use the code Denise, who's our guest today at checkout, and you'll actually get a free copy of Pastor Sam Jones' new ebook, Why I'm Pro-Life, to go along with that order of the book. So definitely check that out. Um, so uh, we're bringing on a Denise McAllister. We're going to be talking about her chapter specifically dealing with sexual identity, uh, which is a fascinating chapter, especially with how much compromise I feel like there's been lately within the church on that. Uh, but Denise, welcome to Conversations with Jeff. Glad to have you on. I'm glad we can kind of dive into this topic. It's so relevant, but also really, really, really important within Christianity. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. I loved writing for the book, and I think it's a very interesting chapter, like you said, very relevant today. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's it's one of those things where I, I don't, I, I think a lot of times conservative Christians are kind of maybe missing the point or missing the talking points a lot of times when it comes to the issue of, of sexual identity. I think a lot of times we dive into the political aspect 
of, you know, let's say homosexuality or transgenderism or, or whatever it might be. But I feel like a lot of times we miss the, the spiritual side of it. And, and I think that that's really where you hit home. Um, when it comes to this topic within this chapter. And I think it's going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, topic for people to study and learn on. But one of the things that I wanted to, you know, dive into in the beginning when it comes to this issue for you is, um, wh- what do you think the root issue is from a Christian perspective when it comes to sexual identity and where maybe the church has kind of gone off the deep end when it comes to this? I think you're right when you when you pointed out that we do handle this politically, legally. We talk about these issues uh, that way. You know, same-sex marriage, we'll have a discussion about that or about, uh, you know, when's too young to do transgenderism or these kind of issues. But we don't really talk about, I wouldn't even call it the spiritual aspect. It's more an ontological discussion about identity, about human identity. And I very rarely hear this being discussed, and it's, particularly discouraging that it's not being discussed in the church because the church should know better than anyone else what human identity is because we understand that we are not self-designed. We aren't who we want to be because of how we feel, um, that we are designed by God, that we are objectively designed for a purpose by him and that we are to worship and honor him, that he is our God. He is our creator. We are not self-creators. We are not self-reconstructors. We are made in his image. And that means something objective that has a design and a purpose that we need to understand as human beings to live lives that are glorifying to him. And we cannot do that if we abandon our understanding of self-identity as God made us. And essential to understanding our identity and our design is our sexuality. It's, it starts from the very beginning of Scripture. It goes throughout Scripture. It has its analogies within the Godhead itself, in the Trinity. And uh, if we abandon our understanding of who we are as designed by God, then we abandon our understanding of our relationship with God as designed. We abandon our understanding of who we are in the fall. And we abandon our understanding of what it means to be redeemed from sin. So it's a very, very important issue and sadly one that's been abandoned by the church and certainly by society. And to understand the importance of it, there's a reason why in Romans 1, when when Paul talks about the gospel and the need of the gospel to go out among the nations because we're depraved and we're fallen in sin, that he describes a society that's completely abandoned God's truth. And and he explains that when we abandon God and we abandon his truth, we do it because we love our sins so much, we love ourselves so much, that we have chosen to worship ourselves and idols that we've created instead of worshiping God. So we we you know, our thinking becomes depraved, or, or we abandon truth and replace it with our own. And he immediately Sites, what? Following that, sexual depravity in the form of homosexuality. 
Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Why does he do that? Why does he immediately go into ideology to a perversion of sexual identity? And that's very important, and I discuss that in my, in my book. It's something you do not hear about in our society today because it's politically incorrect. It goes against the culture. You will be attacked. You will be maligned. You will be silenced. You will be called unloving and unkind and all of that. So um, in the church has bought into the lie of sexual identity being something other than what God has made it to be. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting hearing a lot of the the mainstream even evangelical leaders try to try to dive into this specific issue, and I feel like they're all kind of stumbling over themselves, and it's like they don't quite know how to actually approach this issue. And I think a lot of it is because there's a lot of talking points that are coming out of the left and out of the LGBTQ community, and specifically dealing with you know you're born this way. Um, you know, that's not anything you can help. It's not anything you can control. Um, it's just, it's the way that God made you. And I feel like to a certain degree, whether we're saying it overtly or not, the evangelical church is almost confirming these leftist talking points. Um, how, so if, if the church is approaching it from that perspective, in all reality, how should we be dealing with, with sexual identity and things along those lines? Well, the same way we deal with identity in general. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be sinful? What does it mean to be fallen? What does it mean to be redeemed? What does it mean to be glorified? What is our relationship to God? Who did I, he make us to be and how did he design us? This is fundamental. It's not about you know same-sex marriage and legal, legal ramifications or political um, impact on society. It's about our design. So we have to go back to the beginning. It's just like when Jesus was asked by the disciples or you know, or people around him, I can't remember the exact context, and they said, you know, what what about divorce, Jesus? So they were going to, you know, wanting to know what excuses, what loopholes do we have to get out of marriage, you know, and, and how that the Pharisees and the Old Testament had made all these loopholes to be able to get out of marriage. And Jesus kind of cuts to the quick. They wanted to talk about uh, a legal aspect, a, a even a political, a social um, angle about this relationship, this very fundamental relationship that God had laid down. And what did Jesus do? He immediately said something that we all need to understand. And it's what we need to go to whenever we have any kind of discussion about human intimacy and human relationship that involves the sexual dynamic. What did he say? He said, God made them male and female. That was the first thing he said. And then that the two would become one 
and that no man can bring apart what God has put together. So the very first thing he goes to is what is your identity? Who are you? And what is the context of this erotic? And I use that term as opposed to platonic relationship. It's not agape love. It's not platonic love. We're talking about erotic love that's in, in marriage, that's in the sexual union. What, it, what did he design that to be? And he, he immediately goes, he made you male and female to have that relationship, that sexual relationship. So we're now in the, in the realm of when we're talking about identity, we're talking about sexual identity. What is our sexual identity and what is its purpose? And he says it right there and it says it in Genesis and it says it throughout scripture and all of God's law is built on this fundamental truth that it made in the image of God. There is a male dynamic and a female dynamic. He made us male and female to come together, not just physically to procreate, but, but to become one in covenantal love, which is probably the, the fullest expression of God's love for his people and his creation and Christ's love for his church that you have in any other relationship analogously, an, an analogy. So you have this marriage union, which is what our union should be like. It's the, it's the individuals becoming one together in community, unlike anything else. It's the individuals coming together in a oneness of relationship with our creator, unlike anything else. And, and that's what this relationship represents. But it's also a very real organic relationship, one that's tied to our physical being. You know, it's interesting how many Christians act like Gnostics, that somehow our physical and our spiritual is somehow separate and our bodies are doing one thing and our spirits do another. <laughs> and uh, our bodies are somehow not relevant. But God designed us. We, we look at our bodies. We're made male and female to come together. We're made physically to be at one with each other um, in sex. And so that's what sexual union is. And they're not male and male and male aren't made to go together. Female and female aren't designed to go together. Male and female are designed to go together. God designed us that way. Any deviation from that is a perversion of his design. He says that clearly in scripture, throughout scripture, I know that LGBT pastors and ministers and theology, theologians and um, theology schools and divinity schools like to pervert what the text actually says. It, it, they get into the law and the legal ramifications if we're really talking about adultery or, or yada, yada, yada. Um, they forget to go back to the fundamental that the law is built on. And the fundamental identity of sexual identity is male and female, that these two are made to come together. And why are, in what context are they made to come together? They're made to come together just whenever we feel like it. Oh, I get a sexual urge. I can just grab Joe down the street and have sex with him because I feel like it, you know, or, or Jill down the street because I feel like it. I mean, is our, is our, the outworking of our sexual identity and the purpose that we are designed to use it and engage in it? Is it just based on how we feel? Um, is it based even on whatever distortions we're born with? Because we're born in sin, right? So we're born fallen. So do we define our our identity based on our fallen perspective, perspective on things? Um, no, we go back to the beginning. How did God design us? Who are we? And we do that about everything in our life. We, we don't say, you know, human beings should act a certain way, and then we use the measure of that action by some kind of fallen, you know, standard. 
you know, we don't. We go back to how God says it, as God designed us to be. He is righteous, therefore we're to be righteous. Even though we live in a fallen world, even though we're fallen and sinful, I can sit there and claim all day, but God, yo, wait a minute. You know, I have a proclivity for getting really angry all the time. That's how I was born. I'm born a sinner. You know, how can you tell me to be righteous? What does God tell us? I made you to be righteous. I made you to be a certain way. You are designed to be in relationship with me, in a holy relationship with me, as a man, as a woman, as a human being, as an individual. And when you deviate from that, you are basically saying to God, your way is not good enough. I prefer my fallen perspective. I prefer my fallen way of being. Therefore, I'm going to choose that as my standard of being. I'm going to choose that as my standard of identity. And that will become the norm for me. You have then stepped from the realm of worshiping your creator to worshiping yourself. This is the essence of idolatry. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Legal. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County, member FDIC. And we see it in many, many different ways, but we especially see it today in the affirmation of this perspective within the church, within society, that we can make our identity whatever we want it to be. Yeah. And that is simply not what God has designed. And so when we do that, we, we, we eradicated God's purposes. We've eradicated the beginning, how we were created, we basically said that doesn't matter. All that matters is how we are now in our fallen state that that is. And the, the sad thing that with the church embracing this perspective is they've actually undermined redemption. Cause if you're going to say that our identity is whatever we perceive it to be in our fallen state, why be redeemed from it? Where's the cross? Where's the message of hope? What do you, what are you being, what is faith for? What is your hoping? You know, what are you hoping for? If this is what our standard is, if this is the good, is this, if this is what we say God has designed us to be, is what we perceive in our fallen state, there is no hope for redemption because we've rejected creation. We've set ourselves up solidly in the realm of fallenness and we have shunned any kind of hope of redemption in the future and glorification and restoration 
to how we're supposed to be. And in what way do we do that in any other sinful endeavor? <laughs> do we say that we're like that? Oh, we all steal. That's the way we are. Therefore, this is who we are. We're going to stay here, right here like this. This is how I was born. It's rejecting God's creative mandate that, no, we are not to steal. No, we're not made to be righteous, to honor and to love our neighbor and his stuff and respect his stuff. You know, and that even though you live in this fallen state, through Christ, you can be redeemed from it to be restored to how he has designed you to be as a pure, holy, loving human being who doesn't steal other people's stuff. So this this is the seriousness that really touches not about some kind of what's, what are people doing in their bedroom kind of ar- argument. This cuts to the very heart of the gospel. It cuts to the very heart of human relationships with God, with ourselves, and with each other. You know, am I defining myself by God, or am I defining myself by my own perspective, by what society wants me to be, or what society has determined to be truth? You know, what am I using as the standard for truth about human identity and human sexuality? If it's anything except how the Creator designed us, it's self-worship, it's a rejection of God's truth, and it's self-condemning because it offers no hope. And it's not real. It's based on fantasy, and, and it causes deep, deep spiritual harm, um, ontological harm, real harm about who we are as, as created beings. And it's disordered, and, and we're not helping anyone by affirming an identity that God has not given to human beings. And the church does it in all kinds of ways. And, and they try to, uh, they, they try to wrestle with this and, and appease the world and appease feelings while still saying it honors God. Have, have you heard, for example, well, you can, you're gay, but as long as you don't act, act on it, that's fine. Have you heard that? Yeah. And, well, and, and that, that, that was honestly what I, what I wanted to ask you next. So that, that worked out perfectly. But, but I, but I feel like, uh, and again, this is where I think a lot of Christian pastors struggle is because I think a lot of times it's really easy to focus on the physical actions of, of people. Again, in, in whatever sin issue that we're talking about, it, it gets a lot more difficult, I think, for a lot of pastors to talk about these issues more from the spiritual side or what's actually going on in your mind and, and things like that. And I think specifically, and this is why I appreciate that you really wanted to deal with this from an identity standpoint as opposed to just the physical action of, of homosexuality or any of these, uh, sexual, um, you know, perversions or anything like that is this really comes down to the heart of the issue of identity. It's not just the physical action. And I think that this is where, like, when you look at organizations like the Gospel Coalition or a lot of the evangelical leaders and people that are supporting people like Sam Alberry and people like that, you start getting into this same-sex attracted, but we're going to remain celibate. And so they, they separate out the identity from the physical action. Um, and so then the question is, how do we as Christians deal with this issue when really they're separating these out into two separate things, one of identity, one to physical sin. How do we, how do we maneuver that? They've just cut a sharp knife down the middle of human identity and it's destructive. I know they think that they're being really helpful and sensitive and empathetic by saying it's okay that you're gay as long as you don't act on it. 
but it's it's a lie. It's cruel. And, uh, you know, it, it undermines, again, the gospel. And, and, you know, and it undermines God's design for his creation. It, it's still, it's setting up a paradigm that's contrary to God's word. And all in the name of sensitivity, which I really don't think is sensitivity. I really think it's concerned about how you look. I think ultimately all these efforts to be sensitive to people that leads to a lie is really about protecting how you're perceived. They really, in my opinion, I mean, that's because it's a lie. If you're really concerned about the other person, you're going to lead them into truth. You're not going to put layer upon layer of deception upon them in order to make everyone feel good about themselves. So the issue here about you're gay, but as long as you don't act out, the problem is, is one of identity. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's setting up, it's telling the person with same-sex attractions that they're locked into a identity that they that isn't real. <laughs> you know, if God made you gay, then you should be able to act on it. You know, um, that makes no sense to say that God designed you to be a certain way, sexually speaking, which is fundamental to your humanity, that God made a third sexuality, in essence, um, because sexuality is not just tied to our physical form, it's tied to what you do with it, your purpose. So they say, you know, there's heterosexuality, homosexuality. These, these um, designations don't work, and they're, they're not even present within Scripture. There's only two sexualities. There's male and female, and they go together to form a, a marriage union, a covenantal union. Um, so this idea of homosexuality, telling someone that, you know, you're born that way, God made you that, that sexuality, um, but you better not act on it since first a horrible message of contradiction about God. Um, it, uh, it gives them no hope of any kind of um, redemption of change. It gives them no hope of love and intimacy within, with another person with a, you know, if you're a man with a woman, you know, there's no, there, there's a life. Not everyone's called to be celibate. You know, if you're, if you're called to be celibate, if you're called, then you know it. And I think it's a pretty rare calling. Um, but you're not called to be celibate because of your identity. You're called to be celibate because it's calling that you're called to do so that you can focus on other tasks. And, and um, so the, it's a lie from the pit of hell really is what it is. So you have to go back like Jesus did in all of these kind of questions, whether it's about divorce, adultery, homosexuality, whatever it is, what's the fundamental thing we need to start from? God made them male and female. So what does that mean to the person who has same-sex attractions? Where do they come from? And what does that mean? How do we grapple? What do we do with that? And this is what people are really struggling with. And too many in the church have come to the conclusion, well, we deal with it by saying, we just don't act on it. That's quite legalistic. If you think about it, and it's wrong. Um, but the other a answer isn't, well, we'll act on it. <laughs> Go ahead. That's how God made you. Um, the question is, is that how God made you? Are your same-sex attractions God-designed? And is that now your identity as a, as a sexual human being? Because that's where we've gone. I mean, that's why we get into rights. Why? That's why... In the past, you didn't have rights as a homosexual, you know, homosexual same-sex attractions because it was seen as a behavior. Now it's an identity. When you move into an identity, then rights come into play, right? So that's what we have going on. 
we need to go back to, is this your identity? And do you see, do you see the difference? I mean, there is, there's, your identity is you're a man. So I'm talking to the man with same-sex attractions. I don't say to him, you're gay by design, just don't act like it. I'm saying, you're a man. You're a man with male sexuality designed by God. And unless you're called to celibacy, called to celibacy for a certain purpose, to serve him or do whatever, um, you are designed to be in a relationship, sexual relationship with a woman in marriage. That is your design. Just like I would say to a, a man with opposite sex attractions who says, I'm going to sleep with every woman on the planet. No, dear, you may have those feelings of wanting to sleep with every woman on the planet, but God has not designed you that way. He designed you as a man to be in a relationship with a woman in marriage, to have union with her through procreation. If body parts don't work, that's fine, but they're still together in unity and you have unity in spirit and in covenant relationship before God as a representation of him and a testimony of his love for us in this world. And it brings glory to him as he designed it. And so to the same sex, to the man with the same sex attraction, like, so your identity is not what you feel. Your identity is who God made you to be. It's an objective reality. That is your identity. And you don't feel it right now, though. You don't experience right now. You're not experiencing that reality of God's design for you. Just like I don't experience it when I have desires to do sinful things. I'm not experiencing in that moment my design as God, of God as a, as a righteous human being. And God designed me as a human being to love others. When I'm having sinful desires, I'm not loving others. Therefore, I am not acting according to my design as a human being made in his image. So it doesn't really matter what the sin is or what the feelings are. If they're not in accordance with God's design, I don't then take my feelings and reconstruct my identity around them. But that's what we've done with homosexuality is that we've taken feelings and reconstructed our objective design around it. We see that most obviously with transgenderism, where we're actually cutting into human flesh to reconstruct our design. But we've done the same thing with homosexuality, which is aren't cutting into the flesh. We've reconstructed the human sexual relationship. That's why I say that people who oppose transgenderism but embrace homosexuality are in contradiction with each other because they are... Um, you know, reconstructing human sexual dynamics and identity, one with how you act in the human sexual relationship, the other takes it so far as to reconstruct your body, your physical body. So then I say to the person with the same sex attractions, what is sin in this? This is another area where people, what is the sin? Is it just the attraction? I can't help, you know, a fleeting attraction. You know, how, how, how are you going to say that I'm sin, living in sin if I just, I have this attraction, I can't help it. You know, um, what if I just don't act on it? Well, that's good that you don't act on it. But Jesus said, you know, our sins come from within. It's not from without. You know, um, lust in our heart is just as much of a sin as the action of, of fornication, adultery, or, or homosexuality. doesn't matter. Um, it comes within the heart. So, then you need to ask the next question, well, is a fleeting sexual attraction lust? And I, I really kind of break it up into two, three different parts. There are all kinds of, because we live in a fallen world, 
we are dealing with fallen human beings. We are not dealing with people at creation who are pure and innocent. We're not Adam and Eve before the fall. That's the template of how we're supposed to be. But we're dealing with who we are now in this fallen state. And so I have this feeling, it's fleeting, it's part of my fallen nature that I'm born with. Like Paul said, we're all born fallen and sin. I'm not dumping on homosexuals here. We're all sinners. We all just express it differently, and we all have great, gravitate toward different sins. Um, but, you know, I have this feeling. It's fleeting. Uh, at that point, I say it's part of your sinful nature, but you haven't activated it into sin. It hasn't even reached the level of lust yet. It's just a fleeting moment, an attraction. And I'd say a lot of people have those, especially as they're developing sexually, and especially if you're what you're being exposed to externally. Like, for example, young boys, the more younger that they're exposed to porn, the more they're going to have fleeting feelings of, of sexual attraction. And then uh, at even younger ages, that will then full, go full-born into lust and then into full-born action. So I would say, you know, you have those, you have those attractions. We all do in different ways, these sinful impulses. Um, our, it's when we start lusting, you know, that it becomes a problem. And, and that's when it enters in the imagination. You know, that attraction, that fleeting feeling becomes rooted in our imagination. And we start thinking about it. That's full-blown lust. That is sin. And then it's only one step away from that that we start acting on it. The problem is, is that now we've taken sexual attraction and lust to be our identity. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. You know, and and do you see the problem with that? You've taken a fallen paradigm, a fallen standard and made it our design. Totally ignoring that that's not God's design for us. And so what I say to, you know, the person with the same sex attraction is that it's if they're just starting with all I've got is these fleeting feelings. I'm not really lusting about haven't acted on it. I think those people, especially when they're young, are easier to deal with and say, you know, these are just natural, fallen natural feelings, attractions. We are also rational creatures. We are made in God's image. 
as by design, we're, and we have the ability to exercise our rational mind over our will. And we bring those attractions into control of our minds. But our minds and our consciences have to be rightly informed by what is true and what is right. So if, you're, if your mind is, I'm a man, and I'm made to be with a woman, I have these feelings, I have these attractions that are fleeting, but I need to redirect them and take them and not act on them. The more you exercise that muscle, the more you have control over it. The problem is, is that we're often dealing when people in counseling or people in ministry or just people dealing with the same is we're, we're dealing with people who have already full blown gone into lust mode to the point that they're identifying with the feelings as their identity or they've acted on it. And I don't care what sexual sin you're talking about. I don't care if it's homosexuality, fornication, adultery. Sex is powerful. I mean, we want to become it. It's, it's, it's seductive in the true sense of the word, unlike anything else, because sexual sins, unlike any other sin, is very much tied to our human identity, physical form, as well as our mental and spiritual form, unlike anything else. And so that's what makes sexual sins a little unique. A lot of people go, you know, Christians, why are they so obsessed with sex? You know, what are they afraid of sex? Why do you talk about sex all the time? I always turn it back on the world and say, well, why are you guys talking about sex all the time? You're the ones who are obsessed with sex. With sex here, sex there, sex in cartoons, sex in commercials, <laughs> sex everywhere I turn. I open up a page of books, sex, sex, sex. You know, why is it? Because it's very seductive. It, it, it's tied into our organic being, our spiritual being. I think it's also because it is so... Um, analogous of our relationship with God is a particular focal point of say, of, of evil um, to uh, to target it because it separates us from ourselves and from God Himself. It's a distortion. Satan loves to distort who God is and what our relationship is with Him. And what better place to do that than sex, um, which is so addictive? So once you're dealing with someone who is has been feeling these feelings, lusting. And totally given themselves over to it to the point that this is who I am and affirmed by a culture that this is who you are and engaging in it physically, having, having many relationships, boy, it's really hard then to look to that person and say, you need, you can change. Um, it, it's, it's very, very hard to do that. It's hard to do that with any sin really, but especially the sexual sins. Um, men addicted to sex, women addicted to sex. And, you know, even in the opposite sex relationships, it's the same thing. It's very, very difficult to make that change. But the difficultness of it, difficultiness, <laughs> excuse me, the difficulty of it, and the um, it does not change the reality that it's wrong, that it's not by design. Um, and I think too often people in the church ourselves, because it's so hard, it can't possibly be true. It's so hard to change. God can't possibly want us to be different. But, you know, God said, I can take those stones and make life out of them. Jesus raised people from the dead. If God can do that, he can forgive us of our sins and he can make us new and he can renew our hearts. If we don't understand that, and believe in that, then you have no right as a Christian to be even talking about spreading the gospel because you don't believe in the power of the gospel. If you don't believe that God can change the hearts of a man or a woman who's so entrenched in some kind of sexual sin that they totally identify with it as their being, as their design, as their purpose, even to point their finger at God and say, you made me this way, 
if you don't believe that God can change, then what do you believe in? Now, what do you believe about God changing the rocks and making them soldiers in the Old Testament? You know, and what do you believe about feeding the 5,000? You know, what do you believe about the miracles of Jesus? What do you believe about God being able to take a fallen heart and renewing it and glorifying it and bringing it back to his original creation as a righteous being? Do you understand even how fallen and lost we are as human beings, how we are dead in the water? Do you understand that we are dead in sin? And that the gospel message is that God is here through Christ to make us alive again. Do you understand what that power is? Because if you don't, what are you doing in the pulpit preaching about this and saying, it's okay that you're gay, but don't act on it? What you're saying to that person is that that's not, that God designed you not the way he said he did, but differently. And, you know, he can't really change who you are. He doesn't really want to change who you are. There's really no hope there. You know, do you even know what you're saying to people and the bondage that you're continuing to put them in by saying that to them? You know, so this is the whole concept of understanding foundationally what identity is about it being human and about being and part of that humanity and essential to that humanity is our identity as male and female. Yeah. And if you reject that, then you reject the gospel itself. And if you reject the gospel itself, who are you calling yourself what are you calling yourself? Why are you calling yourself a Christian? What are you offering to people? You have a very weak God. You know, and I'm, me, I believe God is very big. You know, I believe in a powerful God. And I believe that God is our creator and he created us and designed us to be a certain way. And does that, does that mean that we lose all individuality? Because I know that's the first thing people kind of shun when they get, God made us a certain way. Like he's imposing identity onto us. Not stopping to think, no, he's created our identity. He's given us our identity like an artist. He's artistically formed us and designed us. No, instead people go, oh, you're imposing sexual identity on us. You're imposing human humanity on us. You're imposing your image on us. How dare you impose your image on your creation? Uh, you know, um, Instead of thinking, no, what it is, he made us this way. We rebelled and we changed. We became corrupt. We rejected his ways. We have been, ever since the fall, redesigning our own selves to be something that he did not make us to be. We have been redesigning ourselves into a corrupt form of humanity as men and women. And this is what, and worshiping ourselves all the way. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. And this is why he goes straight to the sexual sin of homosexuality when he talks about self-ideology being so all-consuming and so bad that we have made God's truth to be a lie. And that's why we, if we really want to bring hope to this world, we have got to deal with this issue. And we cannot sit here and say, oh, the sexual sins don't matter. Homosexuality doesn't matter. Oh, it's okay if you don't act on it. It doesn't matter. We now live full bore in a society that has embraced Romans 1 and said, no, I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to redefine myself. And not only that, not only do you have to approve of it, like he talks about in Romans 1, but you darn well better or you're going to suffer consequences at the hands of society if you do not comply with the redefinition of humanity 
that is being opposed upon you by those in power or those who want power or those who have the loudest voices to make life hard for everyone else. So this is the seriousness of this. It's not just about what people do in the privacy of their bedroom is fine with me. Um, You know, as a, as an issue to be addressed, we have got to start from the right foundation and that is human design. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. And, and, and I think to, to a certain degree as well, uh, a lot of this comes back specifically to the gospel and salvation as well, because like, and I, and I think the way that I, a lot of times I look at this is, you know, throughout the old Testament and even the new Testament as well, a lot of the things that God commands, you know, even looking at Israel, a lot of things that God would command of Israel was a symbol or an allegory or uh, a picture of a spiritual aspect, right? And so, you know, whether it was the, uh, the sacrifices, it was a future uh, foretelling of Christ's ultimate sacrifice for us. Uh, there's a lot of different things like that. Paul specifically says that the relationship between a husband and a wife is supposed to be a picture of our relationship with Christ. And so then this comes into what is the gospel? What is salvation? What does it mean to be a a Christian? All this kind of stuff. And so I think we have to remember there's a spiritual aspect of this as well. And that, that goes for relationships within marriage between the husband and a wife. It goes for your identity. It goes for your attractions. It goes for a lot of this. It's tied in directly with uh, the gospel message. And I think that when we begin to pervert a lot of these issues, especially when it comes to what is marriage, what what does it mean? What does it symbolize? When it, when, when it says that the husband and wife is supposed to symbolize Christ in the church, as soon as it becomes husband and husband, well, we all know there's not two Christs. So then the symbolism goes completely out the window. And to a certain degree, that, that picture that we're supposed to be presenting to the world and that we're supposed to be um, exemplifying with our relationship between husband and wife, th- that's no more if all of a sudden marriage can be between a woman and a woman or a man and a man or you know different identities between a man identifying as a woman or vice versa. It really goes back to the gospel as well. Well, it, absolutely. And what is the gospel redeeming you from? And what is it? What are you being restored to? Which is the whole heart of the gospel. And you know, and like I said, in, in the bridegroom of Christ, you know, what, what has He done for us? And that intimate relationship of oneness. Um, it, it ultimately comes down to the the uh, understanding love. And that's an interesting thing because that's the argument that you hear so often in LGBT, um, you know, advocacy is, well, it's about love. I love who I love. You love who you love. It's all about love. Well, first of all, feelings aren't necessarily certain feelings of attraction are not love. And, um, but, but God has made a very big priority of love. Love is the very purpose. When I was talking about design and purpose, our design as human beings made in the image of God is to love. It's to love him and be in relationship with him. It's all about human. It's all about relationships. Our, our existence is all about love and relationships. And we need to explain that to people and maybe explain these, in ter- these things more in terms of that. That first of all, as human beings created in his image, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. As just human beings, we are made to love him and love others. The whole law of God is built on love. The whole law is built on the ways that you do 
are are not loving. So when you steal from someone, you're not loving. When you murder from someone, you're not loving. When you commit adultery, you're not loving. When you're fornicating, you're not loving. Um, so, um, and it's such an old fashioned term, isn't it? Fornicating. I'm gonna bring, let's bring it back. But um, let me say the whole humanity, the whole relationship um, between God and, and each other, that agape love that we experience is the whole essence and purpose of our, of our being. And that's the one thing we have in common with everything, every human being on the planet. I don't care your color, your race, your, your you know, nationality. It doesn't matter. Uh, we are all human beings made in God's image to love him and to love one another. When we fail to do that, we have sinned. And so um, the other aspect of our identity is male and female. That's where you get the erotic love, right? And so God designed erotic love to be in the context of male and female relationship. And, and like, like you said, the bridegroom is a representative of that oneness where the two become one. That's what's glorious about the, um, the love, the erotic love in marriage. And it's that, and that covenant is, is a promise to, of that oneness not to be broken. And, and that's what it's all about. And we are made to be one with God and to be one with Christ and his body. We're all united under the one head in his body. This is, this is, all imagery that we get in marriage and, and, and that erotic love that you experience in marriage between a man and that union that you have that's organically, physically made, but also spiritual reality of the feminine, the masculine, all of it together in its mixture uh, uh, as it is in our identity, um, you know, all come together in a loving way that honors him, that honors ourselves. But then you also have all of us as individuals, you know, there's no one like you, Jeff. There's no one like me. There's no one like any, uh, we're billions of us, you know, are each individual. There's no one like us. We are made as individuals uniquely designed, not in anything separate from our humanity or our, our identity as a man or a woman, but as a unique individual to love each other in that platonic way that we carry about out our individual relationships that are unique in families, in friendships that we form. But that that individual love, that individual expression does not contradict our human love, our human identity, or our identity as men and women, as male and female. It does not contradict that. So as my, if I'm sitting here as an, as an individual and say, well, you know, I want to act and be something other than human, well, you may feel that way, but that's that's contrary to who you, your design is. Your individuality does not trump your humanity. Your individuality does not trump your sexual identity. Your individual feelings do not trump your humanity. You know, Hitler tried to make his individual feelings trump his humanity. You know, you don't have your individual feelings or perspectives or whatever twisted views of things or your subjective worship, your self-worship that you have, it does not become the standard for everything else. But see, this is what we're having today. We're having everyone's individual feelings and what they define as love and whatever they want it to be become the standard that not only overrides their own humanity and their own sexuality, but also imposes that standard on everyone else. And this is what subjectivism does. It, it doesn't isn't contained within the person of my truth, my truth, your truth, your truth. No, my truth suddenly needs an outward expression for acceptance in society. 
that's when that subjective truth then becomes dictatorial over you, over God, over his design, over objective reality, over everyone. And the more power I get as an, unit, as an individual, the more I can exert my subjective truth over everyone else in order to affirm my truth, in order to approve of my truth, in order to justify it and legitimize it. Then I get power in myself and my self-worship becomes legitimate. And I, you know, that is idolatry and it's destructive. It's only when we all abide by God's design objectively outward and, and, and honor that and glorify that and act out that in love, true love, that we live in peace, that we live in happiness, that we become our full selves, that we become, you know, become the design and the, and the completion that God has made us to be in his image. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and so one last thing that I did want to ask as well, because, because this entire book is really focusing on, um, the strategy as well as the, um, the perspective and, uh, almost like theological points, maybe to a certain degree as well, that the left has really been using to really destroy the church from within. And I, and I think that this is, this is one of those issues that the left has brought into the church. Um, and, and it's really been destroying not, not only our teaching on sin, but just really, uh, getting a lot of these pastors to really compromise on, uh, definitions, on sin, on theology, and even the gospel and that sort of thing. So if from, from your perspective, dealing with like sexual identity and the compromise that we're seeing happening within the church on this issue, what is really so dangerous? What, what's, what's the end game for using this? Uh, with, within the church to really take down the church? Well, because it counters the gospel. You know, it corrupts what true love is. It corrupts God's truth. It undermines not just his word, but relationships. It undermines the family. Um, it, it undermines God's authority, objective authority in our lives, and, and catapults subjective truth over his truth. So it, it's very destructive. And it's come in under the guise of love, you know, and and because, you know, don't abuse somehow telling someone with same sex attractions that that's not who they are, that, that they can be differently different um, because God has not designed them to be that way. That's an effect of the fall uh, has been now categorized as being evil and hurtful and dangerous. And it's so that churches have become afraid. People in the church are afraid. Look at how people's response to the COVID reaction. They don't want to stand up for what's scientifically true or common sense because they don't want to seem offensive. You know, so the fear of offending, fear of not being loving um, has silenced the church or made them embrace uh, ideas that contradict their own belief system. Uh, They've compromised along the way about definitions, about design, about identity to the point that we don't even talk about sexual identity. We talk about sexual action, we talk about legal action. We talk about these kinds of things, political stuff. Uh, we talk about how we're to treat each other. And, and all of us would agree that no matter what the sin is, you treat people with grace and kindness and explain that you also tell them truth. So it's that balance of grace and truth that leads you toward, leads someone to redemption. Um, not abandoning people either through legalism and cutting, you know, say, I won't have anything to do with you, but also, but yet saying, you know, you can't continue in sin and expect to be label yourself a Christian. Uh, we, I'd say that to anyone, anyone in any sin, the more you 
and, and if you're to the point that you're so committing your sin that you identify as that sin. It's interesting also in Romans 1 where he follows um, the conversation about um, sexual sin. Then he goes, gets into gossip and lying. And he says, and, and all these, some of you were. It's interesting that um, he goes from people committing those sins to being those sins. So not only sexual sin, but you, it become, you become so depraved that you become the very essence of your sins, no matter what they are, you know, whether it's a liar, whether it's steal, you know, a thief, it doesn't matter. You become that because that's who, that's the, the standard that you've chosen for yourself. You've abandoned God's identity and you've embraced your own. And that I own identity in this fallen world is a sinful identity. We in the church have got to understand that any abandonment of identity as God has designed it is, is an embracing of sinful identity. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. That's what it is. And you're not doing anyone any favors. You're not being kind to anyone by affirming a sinful identity of any sort. And and so I, I think, you know, the church a long time ago with postmodernism and all of this coming in, feelings have become more of the mainstay. It's all about communicating rather than proclaiming. It's about, you know, relating rather than relegating or, you know, proclaiming again God's truth. Um so it's all about feelings instead of facts, you know, and, and about truth, about God's way of, of um, ordering this world. We're wanting to reorder it ourselves around our feelings, around everyone else's feelings. Uh, that undermines the gospel because the gospel actually flies in the face of everyone's feelings. You know, um, you know this is, you know, uh, we are deserving death because of our sin. And what did Christ do? He laid down his life to forgive us of sins that he, we were his enemies and, and yet he gave his life for us and he redeems us. And this is not a message that you get in any other religion. It's not a message that you get in the world of, of this idea of redemption, um, which is so ironic because our, our film and our literature is filled with redemptive stories. We love redemptive stories. It's, it's ingrained in us, this need, this desire for redemption. But yet we undermine the very message of it and everything that we do by re, re, rejecting who God has designed us to be and embracing our sinful identities. Well, if you're going to embrace your sinful identities, what do you need to be redeemed from? And we need to remember that in the church, that Standing for, and that standing for this truth and proclaiming this truth in this day is also going to cause persecution. And churches today don't want to be persecuted. We're very comfortable where we are in our nice little churches, in our nice little suburbs, in our nice little neighborhoods, with our nice little people. You know, we don't want to cause any trouble and be persecuted. Uh, but in a society that has rejected objective truth, rejected God's standard and God's design, humanity-wise as well as sexual identity, uh, that it's going to cause a lot of problems. It's going to cause, you're going to be accused of all kinds of ugliness. And it takes a lot of strength to be able to stand in the face of that onslaught. And when people are saying you're being hateful, you're a hater, you don't love people because, you know, and you said, I do love people. <laughs> I'm not being hateful, but they're not going to hear you. It's very hard to be able to stand against that and, and take the hits. 
and and I just see very few Christians willing to do this. It's much easier to applaud the sin, embrace the new sexual identity. You know, at the most, they just don't act on it. You know, okay, be that way, but please just don't ever do anything. Um, you know, that's the super wimpy way out, in my opinion. <laughs> so uh, it, it's just, um, it, it's the, the state of things today is fear of, of what the world thinks of us rather than what God does. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and Denise, I really appreciate you coming on, but I, I also really appreciate you being a part of this book because I think that, I, again, the, exposing a lot of this kind of ideology that has infiltrated into into the church it it really shows because it it reflects what's going on in secular culture but it's coming into within christianity and within the church and where even even those that we are supposed to be looking up to for our theological training our biblical understanding proclaiming the gospel it seems like widespread they're also accepting this, these false ideas and again it's just undermining the church and it's undermining the gospel so i really appreciate you being a part of this book project just so we can you know really raise people's awareness of what's actually going on right now. Yeah. And it's hurting people. It's not loving. And if you truly love people, then, you know, bring them to a, a honest and true understanding of who they are as made in the image of God and not what they've defined themselves to be in this fallen world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, again, Denise, really appreciate it. Really appreciate you. T- really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, today as well. We can talk about this important topic and, and, and all of that. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and then, and then everybody else as well. If you guys are interested in ordering a copy of Church and State, uh, definitely go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. Uh, check that out. We've got a bunch of great contributing authors, everybody from Pastor Greg Glock, Dr. Michael Brown, Pastor Kerry Gordon, just a great lineup of people, including, uh, Denise and, and myself as well. Uh, use code Denise at checkout and you'll actually get, uh, 10% off of the book as well as Pastor Sam Jones' new ebook, Why I'm Pro Life. So definitely check that out. Uh, really appreciate everybody tuning up tuning in and uh, we shall catch you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com-spiritpark.